This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity Church. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kyle Culbertson. I am the pastoral intern here at Trinity. Um, and another thing about me is that I am now the father of two kids, uh, one of which is two and a half months old. He was the one that was screaming up here. Um, and then I have a two-year-old daughter that was the one that's always terrified to come up to the steps. Um, but one thing I've learned, and maybe it's just something I notice more with two kids than when we just had the one, um, is that people love to come up and tell me, like, who our kids look like, whether it's me or my wife. Um, and maybe it's just because my head was spinning more with our first kid as what I'm doing, but I think I've noticed it more and more and more. And one thing about this is that uh, while with my son, I feel like I'm a little bit more relaxed with it. And I'm like, yeah, we're both bald. We're both in that stage of life. Like, we're, we look similar. Um, especially with my daughter, I probably have the same response to each of you. Um, and first is to thank you for that because my daughter is great and I love her dearly. Um, but secondly is kind of to rebuke you in that because... I believe that my daughter is beautiful, um, and so when knowing that she is beautiful, I want her to look like my wife, who is much more beautiful than myself. I want her to look like the epitome of beauty in my mind. And so I'll tell you that my daughter looks fully like her mother and not like me at all. Um, we understand that when we want to look like someone else, we want to emulate someone else, we want to emulate someone that is the top, the perfection. When you're shooting a basketball shot, you're not trying to shoot a three like Shaq. You're trying to shoot a three like Michael Jordan. When you're trying to be a soccer player like I was growing up, my goal was never to be like my dad who played rec soccer or to be like my teammates. My goal was to be like Ronaldo or Marcelo, the people that are the best of the best at their position. And so we also see this in our Christian life. And as Paul, as we dive back into Ephesians this morning, as we begin chapter 5, we're going to see he tells us that we're also called to imitate the best of the best. We're called to be imitators of God in everything that we do. And Paul's going to show us that that should look like three different things. That to imitate God is to live a life of love, but to imitate God is to be set apart. To imitate God is to live with purpose. And to imitate God is to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so those are going to be our three points this morning as we walk through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. And I invite you this morning to stand out of reverence for God's Word as you are able. And we will be reading verses 1 through 21 together. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything that is exposed by light, it becomes visible, and for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. May he bless it for you and for me. You may be seated. So the first thing we see as we jump into this big long section in the beginning, verses 1 through 14, we see that it looks a lot like chapter 4 last week. There's a lot of like, do this, don't do that, put this off, put this on. Um, and the main idea gets down to it in verse 8 when Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And yes, I read that correctly. Your Bibles didn't print it wrong. Paul doesn't say you were once in darkness, but now you are in light. He says rather that once you were darkness, and now you are light. And what Paul wants to get at here is the reason he's choosing these words is because he wants us to understand the transition that has taken place. That through the gospel, that when we are saved by grace through faith, nothing about our surroundings is what has changed. We're not just sitting in a dark room and someone switched the lights on. Rather, the reality that has changed is us and our being. We have changed from those that were created as darkness to now being created as light. We've been changed. We've been brought from death to life. The transition is about who we are. We see that again in verse 14 when he talks about the reality that you were dead and now you're alive. It's referencing back to Isaiah 60 that we read this morning when it says that the world is in a thick darkness, but we have been raised by the glory of God to become a great light. We have been been set set apart and changed from the rest of the world. And so so we are to live as imitators of God. We need to live as those set apart. There's actually a word that means set apart that we hear so often in church context and in the Bible, and that word is holy. And while we understand that holiness is something that is an attribute of God, it is an attribute that is something that we are called to pursue. Because we have been changed by God, we are to live lives that are pursuing holiness. We are are to to live live lives that are walking as children in the light, displaying this holiness. We're walking in the fruit of the light, the fruit of the Spirit, like Galatians calls it, but it's defined here as all that is good and right and true. We are to strive to walk in this way, taking no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to expose them. And so what does it look like to expose the unfruitful works of darkness? Well, it's not walking around like the morality police, calling out everything that we see in everyone else's life. Just to expose these is simply to mean, means to know what they are. To know sin when you see it, to know sin in your own life, to know these temptations that surround you, to be able to call them out as what they are. They are the works of darkness. Paul says that it is those that have been changed, we are to see sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness not named among us. These are not to be things that define our lives. These are not to be the ways that we live. We should not look like the rest of the world. We should not look as people living in these ways that we're taking part in crude joking. We're not taking part in impurity. We're not taking part in covetousness that is idolatry. Because we are children of light. Those are the ways of darkness. Those are the ways of what he calls the sons of disobedience. And these sons of disobedience are those that have no part in the inheritance in the kingdom of God. And now just to be clear, Paul is not saying that we live holy lives perfectly. Paul is not saying that we have achieved everything. 
Uh, like we talked about last week, we are not all we could be, but we're also not all we once were. And so when we live these lives striving for holiness, we are still going to wrestle with our sin, and no one knows that better than Paul. Just read Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, how he struggles so much every day with the desires of his flesh, and yet he still can say that he finds freedom and conquers through Christ. We all are going to struggle with sin, and that's not what he's talking about with these sons of disobedience. That's not what he's talking about when he says this term. This term is actually a word that Paul has borrowed from Hebrews. It's a word that's talking about people who habitually live in their sin. These people who desire disobedience. These people that want to live without any repentance. That this is the want of their life. That their desires are to live in sexual immorality and impurity. Their desires are to live in covetousness that is idolatry. Their desires are to live in a way that they worship not God, but the idols of this world, the idols of themselves, the idols of everything else that is not good and right and true. That is who these people are. But before we start thinking of ourselves as high and mighty, we also have to understand that Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were all this way. We were all sons of disobedience dead in our trespasses, Ephesians 2 chapter 2 said. But now we have been changed. Now we have become light. We have become children of the light, no longer children of the darkness. And so Paul says that as we have been set apart, we have been changed. We are called to live differently. We are called to pursue not living as close as we can to the darkness, but to pursue living as close as we can to full holiness, that is, living as close as we can to being imitators of God. There's actually a, a little parable thing that I read this week that talks a little bit about this. And so there was a yacht owner that he had just bought and purchased this lovely yacht. It was beautiful and precious to him, but he needed a captain to drive it. And so he goes out and searches for the best captain he can, and he has three captains audition for him. And he says, look, whoever drives this boat the best will be my captain. And so the first guy goes out, and he shows mastery at his craft. He is driving at high speeds. He's flying so close along these cliffs, about 30 meters from the shore. And everyone is amazed at how great he is at his work. Then you get to the next captain, and he jumps in, and everyone's even more amazed. This guy's even better. He's going a little bit faster. He's going a little bit closer to the coast. He's navigating 15 meters away, and everyone is blown away how great he is at what he does. And then comes the third guy, and everyone has this expectation that he's going to do something even more amazing. And yet he turns the boat around. He drives not anywhere near the coast, but he coasts off at a comfortable pace into the deep, deep waters of the bay. And the yacht owner looks and he says, well, there, there's my captain. Because the yacht owner says, the reality is that this boat is precious to me. This boat is something that I have spent a great deal of money on. This is something that I want to save for a long time and to enjoy it. I don't want it anywhere near the coastline where it could take a chance of getting wrecked and destroyed. I would rather have it in the deep waters where I can enjoy the peace and tranquility, which is why I have it in the first place. And see, like the yacht owner, Paul wants us to understand that we are the same way as the yacht. We were changed. We were recreated. We were created to be out in the deep waters of God's goodness and His holiness. We're not changed and saved so that we can navigate along the coastline trying to just avoid that little bit of sin that will take us over the edge. We're not trying to just stay as close as we can to the darkness of our former lives while also being a Christian. We're trying to stay closer to God than we are to the world. We're trying, We're trying to pursue, pursue the deepness and the reality of the abundant, abundant peace that we have in God and in His holiness. 
That's what it looks like to imitate God, is to fly closer to Him, to sail closer to Him, to desire to be as close as we can in our lives to the holiness that He has already imparted to us. As the imitators of God, we are those that are called to live set apart from the world. But not, but not only as those that are set apart, apart God, God also says that, that if we are to live as imitators of Him, Paul wants us to understand that it means, that it means to live with purpose. And so and we so get we all the way to verse 15, 15 and we're told that as imitators, we are to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul defines wisdom here in two ways. He says to be wise is to know the will of the Lord, and it's to make the most of our time. Now, first, knowing the will of the Lord, we have to define what the will of the Lord is. See, there's two, two ways of talking about the will of the Lord. There's his general will for all believers, and then there's his particular will that is for your individual life. And see, the general will is something that we see throughout Scripture. It is labeled time and time again in different ways. Here it's talked about being an imitator of God. We're all meant to live in this capacity. The Westminster Shorter Catechism talks about it as the chief end of man. And it, and it says that that, that is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is what we are all meant to do, is to glorify God. But that's but not that's what Paul's talking about here. He says to be wise is to pursue and to understand what the will of the Lord is for your life, for your individual life. It's finding out God's particular will. And that's not something that you can just open up a page of Scripture and it's going to be written right there for you. Now, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that it's external from Scripture. Scripture is the bounds that we still have to look through. It's the guardrails on either side to make sure that we're still living the right way. It's the way that we are not called to be murderers or adulterers because that would be contrary to God's will. We don't just get to go live and do whatever we want, pursue whatever end goal we have in mind, and then pull a drake and just call God's plan, and we're fine. That's not how this works. God's particular will is a purpose that He has for you. And so, and so how, how do we find, find it? Well, we're, we're called, called to pursue wisdom by seeking it out because it's something that is sought by intentional prayer, through careful thought, and it's through the encouragement and exhortation of other believers. Now, just an example of this, I told you this morning, and I tell you guys a lot, that my title is Pastoral Intern. And while it's a fuzzy little title thing, and it's a little bit weird, the easiest way to break, to break that down is that my role is that because I am in the process of ordination in the PCA, our Presbyterian Church of America, our denomination. And so as I've jumped into this, I am in the process of becoming a pastor in our denomination. And so as that is the goal, but there's something that I have to start out with each time. And so every person that comes under this internship title or this internship process, you have to display that you have an internal call and an external call to ministry. And so, and so the, the internal, internal call for ministry, ministry is these things that have gone on in my life, the way that His Spirit has worked through me, the ways that, that I've seen God equip me, and, and is desiring me to go into ministry. But the, the internal call is not enough. enough. I also have to look at the external call. I have to look at how others have looked at me and said, yes, that is clearly the Lord working in your life. Yes, that is something that you are gifted in. Yes, that is something that God is calling you into. You would be great at that. I can see how He's working that in your life. And these, and these are the are ways that when we put those two things together, we find God's particular will for us. And so the question is, if we're pursuing to be imitators of God, if we're trying to be wise, if we're trying to know the will of the Lord, are we taking the time to pursue His particular will in our life? Do you know God's particular will for you? Do you know His purpose for you? And if so, are you living it out today? And the reason, and the reason I ask you, are you living it out today, is because the second part of wisdom that Paul tells us is to make the most of our time because our days are evil. Now that phrase, to make the, most, make the best use of, is a word that actually means to redeem or to ransom. 
And so, and so Paul's, Paul's actually saying that I need you to ransom your days because they're evil. I need you to redeem every day of your life because you're not guaranteed another one. We're called to redeem each and every one of our days, and I know that can be challenging, especially here and now. Because I know there's many of us that are sitting here and being like, I'm here for a certain amount of time. I am here for X amount of days. I am here so that I can go somewhere else. I am here because I was made to be here. And I understand that because I'm someone that has lived a life that is transient. I am someone that played soccer and I lived contract to contract. And so, and so I always look at, I'm here for 10 months, but I am desiring to be in the, in the next place. place. I am I here for this time, but the next one is where it's going to really matter. matter. And I and think for all of us, we get caught up in this desire to push off God's purpose. Like, I'll find God's purpose when I go to that destination. This is just a step along the path. We want to live out God's purpose when we get there. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get into God's, God's particular will for my life when I get to that, that next job, that next city, that, that next church, church. Then, then we'll start looking at these things. things. The reality, the reality is, is we look at God's will and we look at it the same way that my daughter looks at potty training. See, my two-year-old doesn't understand that potty training is good. It is something that is meant for all of us, and so she doesn't want to do it. And my mother-in-law tried to undertake this task when she was with us for about a month, beginning of this year. And she, and she was, was so confident that my daughter would get it. She's like, I'm going to get her to do this. And so, and so she would ask her time and time again for days, Ellie, Ellie do you want to go potty on the potty? Do you want to go to the potty? Let's go do this. Let's go do this. And my daughter would respond in the same way every single time. She would say, Ellie, Joy will potty tomorrow. Ellie, Joy potty in the potty tomorrow. Ellie, Joy will go there tomorrow. See, for my daughter, tomorrow is to push it off for forever. Tomorrow doesn't matter because it's not now, and I don't want to do it now. And the reality is for all of us, when we live in this desire of eventually, I'll get to God's purposes for my life, we're pushing off the goodness he has for us in this moment. You see, tomorrow is so much easier than today because tomorrow never exists. Tomorrow we don't have to think about because tomorrow is for tomorrow. You can go to a restaurant and see those signs that kids eat free tomorrow because it's never coming. But Paul, but Paul tells, tells us that the reality is, is we need to redeem our days today. That God, God has put us where he wants us, and so he has called us into this season of life. life. He has called us into purpose in this place. He has called us into purpose in this church. He has called us into purpose in whatever is going on, even when it's hard. God is still in control, and we have to understand that. And so we have to understand that we are still called to seek out his particular will in our life. That is, that is still, still what, it what it means to find wisdom, wisdom today. today. That, is that is still what it means to find wisdom in this place. place. That, that is still the desire of our hearts. We need to be spending that intentional time seeking it out and finding others that want to help you. you. And you know, you others that really want to help you with that, they're found in this building. There's people on this staff and in this church that desire nothing more than for you to find your particular will, God's purpose for your life here and now. Zach actually preached about the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, and it says in there that Pastors are given to equip the saints to do the ministry. So Zach's literal purpose as a pastor is to help you find your own. You think about the staff here at church, here at Trinity, our desire, and we love to do this, is to help you find ways that in whatever time you are here, to be able to find that purpose. So I don't know if you know this, if you've walked through a membership class or not, or maybe it's too long ago, but Trinity Church actually has mission and vision statements. And for, and for the life, life of me, I can't get straight, straight which one is which. 
Um, but in those vision, mission or vision statements, there's actually a section that talks about that at Trinity Church, it is our desire that every person here would realize that every day spent on this island is a day brimming with eternal purpose. See, that's something that we're passionate about. That's something that we understand that God has equipped us and made our role here in this space, is to help you find that every day is brimming with eternal purpose, not just when you're here, but wherever you are, that every day you're looking to redeem your days because that is what Scripture tells us it looks like to imitate God, and that's what we're called into, to find our purpose and to redeem our days. And so while we're trying to find our purpose, we're trying to redeem our days, we're trying to live set apart, we have to realize that the last piece might be the most important. That to be imitators of God, we are empowered by the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I love that in this last section, these last couple verses, Paul contrasts being filled with the Holy Spirit with being filled with drunkenness. Because these two things could not be further from opposites. You see, if you know anything about pharmacology, you understand that alcohol is a depressant that it suppresses parts of our mind, it suppresses parts of our being. Um, And I'm not smart enough to put this into better words, and so I'm actually going to use the words of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones when he talks about alcohol depresses first and foremost the highest centers of the brain. These are the centers that control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, it suppresses what makes a man behave at his very best and highest. And yet he would contrast that with the fact that the Holy Spirit does the exact opposite. Well, we've all seen people that are drunk and they're acting almost inhuman at times, that the Holy Spirit does the opposite and makes us live into the reality of we've been created into. It allows us, it's a stimulant. And the Holy Spirit stimulates our every faculty, our mind, our intellect, our heart, and our will. You see, Paul joins this thought process and he says that when we are filled with alcohol, it leads to debauchery. It leads to all these things that we've already talked about, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the covetousness, the idolatry, the ways of darkness. But when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with the right stuff, you live a life that is defined by worship, thanksgiving, and service. Pick it up in verse 19, you live a life of worship. When he says, you will be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You're not just living a life that pours out in worship, you're living a life that pours out in thanksgiving, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you noticed earlier in the passage, Paul also said that thanksgiving is the very thing that keeps you from living the ways of darkness. That when we live in thanksgiving, we avoid the idolatry because we're so thankful to what God has done as we look to Him. And so we're pouring out our lives in worship and thanksgiving, but we're also living lives in service. At the end there, it says excuse me, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this verse, submitting to one another, is going to get unpacked so much greater detail in the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6. But simply put for now, it's the reality that we live lives serving every person in our life in a way that would display Christ to every single person we interact with. That is what it looks like to live filled up with the right stuff, filled up with the Holy Spirit instead of filled up with the things of the world, whether it's drunkenness, whether it's social media, whether it's our idleness to do whatever we want to do, whether it's our work, whether it's anything else over here, if we're filled up with all of that and have no space for the Holy Spirit, we're living lives that are not the way that we are meant to live. We're not living the way we were created to. And there's another piece that's even more beautiful about this filling up of the Holy Spirit. Um, But to get into it, I'm going to have to nerd out for a second on grammar. 
um, in Greek, and I get that it's not something that we like in grammar, but if you'll hold with me for just a second. So this verb to be filled up with is actually a present passive imperative plural, and I get that sounds like a foreign language, but I'm going to tell you what each of those mean. Um, An imperative is a verb that is a command. And so when we say to be filled, it is a command. It is not optional. Similar to what I try to tell my daughter every day, when I say come here, that is a command. It does not mean you get to do whatever else and go wherever else you want. You come here. That's what a command is. That's an imperative. But not only is it a command, it's a plural. It's y'all be filled, not you be filled. And so while it is not only not optional, it is not selective. Every single person that has been recreated, all of us that have been saved are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not for certain individuals. And while it's a command and while it's not selective, it's also a present imperative. And this just simply means it's one of two types of commands. So there's two types of commands in our everyday language, if you notice. Now, if I told you to go buy a car, that's one type. You go and buy it and you're done. The command has been fulfilled in that moment. But there's another type of command that if I told you fill it with gas, it's a command that, yeah, you go fill it up once, but you have to keep filling it up time and time and time again, or else you're not going to go anywhere. And so that's what Paul is getting at here. He says, when we be filled up with the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you cannot just be filled up once when you were saved and you're done with it. You have to come back time and time again. We need the Spirit every day, every hour, every moment of our lives. We need this filling in order to live the way that we are called to live. We need to come back time and time again to be filled up. And quite possibly the most beautiful part of this verb is that it's passive. You see, a passive verb means that we don't do it, but it's done to us. So we're actually not the ones that go out and work out our ways of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but we are just allowing God to do it to us. God is the one that is coming through and filling us up every moment of every day. And the only way that we have to do that is by not being filled up with everything else. See, if you showed up with a diesel tank engine at a gas station, but you're already filled up with unleaded, what's going to happen? One, you can't fill up any more diesel engine in there. You can't put in the fuel you actually need. But two, you've already got everything else filled up in there, so you're not going to operate the way you're supposed to. See, we are children of the light. We are called to live as imitators of God. We have been recreated and rebuilt into this engine that fuels off of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we fill ourselves up with everything else, when we fill ourselves up and I spend all my time on Netflix and never touch God's Word, if I spend all my time looking for social media likes and spending all my time with other people's approval instead of seeking the Lord's in prayer, I'm already filled up. I'm already filled up, but I'm filled up with the wrong stuff, and so I'm living a life that is not the way I'm supposed to. I'm not being an imitator of God. But when we come to the Lord and just seek His ability to fill us up with the Spirit, we find that we are running the way we're supposed to. We're operating as a car that is operating on the right type of fuel. We're operating in a way that we might see our anxieties transformed into peace. We might see my insecurities starting to become replaced with everlasting assurances that I trust because they're made by God. And we might live a life where we are being filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that exhaustion and tireless day-to-day living becomes a life where we are excited and overwhelming with that worship. We're overwhelming and overflowing with thanksgiving. We're overwhelmingly overflowing with service and submission to one another. We're reflecting Christ. We're living in love. We're being imitators of God. And as we close this morning, we need to recognize that none of this is possible without everything that Paul has already written about. 
If you just jumped into Ephesians 5 and said, I'm going to try to be an imitator of God, but you missed 1 through 4, you've missed it. Because it's impossible to live this way unless you've already been recreated. If you're still living as those in the darkness, you can't live as an imitator of God. You see, we have been recreated and being created in the image of Christ, Ephesians 4. We were able to live set apart because we were set apart, Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world by God himself. We have are able to live with purpose because Ephesians 2, God, when he saved us, saved us for good works. And that we are saved and able to be filled by the Holy Spirit, not by anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done by grace through faith to save each and every one of us. You see, the reality is that when we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to live lives set apart and to live lives that are purposeful, it's a matter of looking back to what the gospel says. It says that it is nothing about what I have done. I could do nothing but live in darkness. But Christ has brought me into the light. Christ has brought me and given me a new heart. Christ has brought me in and recreated me to be someone that is fueled and filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is only by what God does for me that I am able to stand and live as an imitator of God. And so the reality is, as we go through our week, can we be people that look back and preach the gospel to ourselves every single day? Can we look back to God's word and remember what he's done for us every single moment and see that filling of the Holy Spirit happening? Can we look back in a way that we will be amazed days from now to realize that as we continue to look back to what God has done and what he continues to do in our lives as he sustains us, that we would be people that live as imitators, that we would be people that see our brothers and sisters exhorting us to continue in these ways, we would be people that get the same comments that you guys give to my daughter and my son, that you look so much like your father in heaven. That is what we are called to live into. We have been changed only by Christ, saved only by Christ, set apart by God to live purposeful lives empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are able to be imitators of him. Might we live in that reality as we reflect on the gospel each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to open your word, um, to see the truth of what it is, to see the truth of your good news in the gospel, that we were in darkness, that we were dead in our trespasses, we were the sons of disobedience. And yet you have called us out of it, you have recreated it, us in a new way. You've made us not longer, no longer to be darkness, but to be light. God, we thank you that we are able to live in this new light. We pray that we would have our desires continuously transformed as we are sanctified by your Spirit, that we would not be filling ourselves up with anything else but looking to you to fill us up, that we would see your truth pouring over us in your word, that we would see your light shining down upon us in such a way that we would want to go out into the deep waters, to the deepness of your holiness and your abundant peace, to see you be reflected in each and every one of us as your ambassadors in this world and as the imitators of God. And it's only possible through your Son, Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name and in the power of your Spirit that we pray. Amen.